Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. I want to, just before I get into the message, I just want to thank everybody for the uh, condolences. My, uh, for those that don't know, my father passed away on Friday, and uh, it was good. It was good. He, uh, he uh, actually disagreed with Monica as she was praying for him. <clears throat> he, she prayed, Lord, we pray for a divine healing. He goes, no. <laughs> pray I go see Jesus. <laughs> And three hours later, he was with Jesus. And uh, oh, think about something else. I have not mastered the art of suppressing emotions. Um, you know, I'm the reason. He's the reason I'm in the ministry today. And. and uh, Okay, that's enough. <laughs> I uh, had lots of offers to, you know, someone would preach for me today, but, you know, I believe so much in the house of God. My dad did give me a love for the house of God. And I've watched the house of God through 30 four years of following Jesus, I have seen that those who love his house are different. Those who get planted in his house are different. It doesn't mean that they get different circumstances. It means they come through them differently in the end. Our life is different because of the house of God. And, and, and I didn't want to let somebody else be up here today to say that because I believe so passionately that God's house, it's his, the, the church is God's plan A. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't, he doesn't look at the church and said, well, this hasn't turned out like I thought. <laughs> Even though we look at the church and sometimes think this hasn't turned out how I thought. God's plan from the beginning. In fact, if you go through the teachings of Paul, his plan from the very start of creation was the church. His plan from the very beginning was to have this people called his people and that they would be called out to him. And David, he said in Psalms 92, he said, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree and they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. And it, and it talks specifically, you get, you get to flourish your whole life. You'll stay fresh and green and still bear fruit in old age. You know, over the last 29 years of pastoring, I've learned a lot about God's house. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. Church is not always easy. But you know what? Marriage isn't always easy either. 
but it's still good. Family is not always easy, but it's still good. And just because God's house is not always easy doesn't mean that his house is not good. Jesus saved my soul, but the church has saved my life. And I think that, you know, after 34 years, I'm convinced through my own observation and personal journey that faith doesn't survive outside the house. It might survive for a a time, a season, but there's something that happens in the house that doesn't happen outside of God's house. Things happen in a community of faith that only happen in a community of faith. And in, a, and in this time, in this challenge, I know people watching online right now that it's a challenge to stay connected in this season. But I think we have to commit all that much more. I want to just, I just want to just set this with you. You can think about this for a minute, but God thought you were up to the task of this season because he put you in this season. And there's a role for you to play in God's house in this season that he put you here at this time because because he believes you are needed in the house in this season. And for some of you that might look different online, especially especially people that are in that are involved in 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 healthcare and people that are involved in industries that are that are higher risk in this season, but we still have to fight for God's house, whatever that looks like as we go forward. We need a community of faith. And what happens in There's some things that happen in a community of faith. First of all, it's a community of God's love. And I want to say this very specifically. It's a community not of our love. It's a community of God's love. Ebert Arnold in his book, Why We Live in Community, he said this, the ultimate ultimate thing that we build, it's, sorry, The ultimate thing is that we build community not on our love but on God's love because we do not really have that much love ourselves. And this is the real challenge of spiritual life. It is a test of faith. It puts God's love to the test and it's meant to. It's meant to. See, you don't want a church that's built on my love. You don't want, and I'm a pretty graceful person. I would say I'm more forgiving than most. See, my family says I am. But you know what? My patience runs out. My grace runs out. My love runs out. And that's why, that's why we have to build on a love that's greater than just what's inside of us. It's building on God's love, relying on God's love. He says later, he says, faith is first. And the only one who is right is God. No one of us knows precisely what God wants. No matter what what someone says to you. What we have to do is believe in the power of his love. This power is given to us in proportion as we work together to find it. 
if we do get together and decide on something, even if it's mistaken, even if it's done in, if it's done in good faith, the power of God's love will be in it. We're going to make mistakes, but it doesn't matter that much. The important thing is that we pursue God's love. Great book. It's called Domestic Monastery. And it's, I won't talk about what it is, but it's a good book. And it's, it's, it's written to families. And it says this, love is all about forgiving again and again and again. Families survive only if this is happening. And I want to say, you know, churches survive only when this is happening. Peter, Peter was, you know, Peter was the impetuous disciple. And he came to Jesus and he, and, and, and basically says, you know, how many times do I have to forgive this guy who is offending me? Like, how, do, how, how often do I have to forgive this person who is clueless? Who is just belligerent, who just does what they want? How many times do I have to forgive this person who says, I'm sorry, but they keep doing it? Do I have to forgive them like seven times? And Jesus, he just like pulled the carpet right out from underneath him and just said, no, you need to forgive him 70 times seven times in a day. It's like, that's a lot. But that's what's necessary. See, there's no, we don't experience love in isolation. In community, I learn to love people who are not like me. In isolation, all I have is me. I can have an ideal of love, but I can't have an expression of love. Community forces me. It forces me to learn other points of view. And we all have bias, don't we? But in community, we learn objectivity. We learn to see other sides. It's, it's as we live in community that we, we learn how to see how somebody else sees. I love how one author put it. He said, it's not true community until it's with someone who drives you crazy. <laughs> you know, sometimes the idealism of church can actually get in our way to experiencing community. I love, Jen talked about the scripture a few weeks ago, Colossians 3.13. It says, make allowance for each other's faults. Oh, I'm going to give you an allowance. And it's called, you get to be a jerk allowance. <laughs> make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. He doesn't suggest that we forgive others. He says, you must forgive others because you're forgiven. It's a community of God's love. You know, the other thing the church is, is it's also a community to do good. It's a community to do good. And because of the church, because of this church, victims of human trafficking have been re rescued. Because of this church, orphan children in Rwanda and in Kenya, have been, have been brought into orphanages and brought in and sponsored and have, found, and have found hope. 
Babies that have been abandoned in dumps have been rescued because of our church. We're actually just getting ready to send another, uh, another $10,000 to the home of hope. Hundreds of families in our own community have been fed. The homeless have been sheltered. And hundreds of children through compassion in the Dominican Republic and, in, and some of you through other parts of the world, hundreds of children have been sponsored, they've been educated, they've been fed because of this church. The church is a community to do good. And I look at what's happened, it's like, if, if we did not do that as a church, I can tell you, I would not have done it by myself. And I wouldn't even, for a lot of things, I wouldn't even be aware of it. I wasn't aware that babies were being abandoned in dumps in Kenya. It was, it's not on my radar. I did not know that human trafficking was, was an issue until I found out in the church. The church is a place to do good. And, and a lot of us, I think we would intend to be good. We would have thoughts and prayers but the church gives us an opportunity to actually be involved, to do something. And just as so you are aware, 10% of everything that you give here actually goes to those types of projects around the world, in our community and around the world. That's, that's just something that we have committed to. By myself, by myself, that wouldn't have happened. 1 Peter 4, it says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. You know, God gives gifts. God gives gifts in us for his church. God has put good things in you, but it, it, his plan was actually his church. His plan was that the good that he puts in you becomes the good that somebody else experiences. Another thing the church is, is it's a community to build on truth. It's a community to build on truth. Truth. What is truth? Do you feel like that? Is there, there are times now, it's like our... You know, Pontius Pilate, 2,000 years ago, asked the question, what is truth? And it's like, we are still asking the same question today. You know, the, the culture of our day, that truth is being redefined. Goodness is being redefined. Truth is being changed, really, to your personal belief. Well, I can personally believe that I'll float as I walk across off the, the edge of this stage. But that personal belief isn't actually truth. It doesn't work. If I jump out of a plane, I can believe I can fly. I can even sing the song. <laughs> but it's not truth. A belief is not truth. And we have entered into the age, sociologically as a society, where we are, we are taught beliefs are truth. They're not truth. 
They're just beliefs. And if a belief is wrong, it ain't got your back. The church is a place... Um, this is, there's a new book, John Mark Comer, the, the author of the, Relent, the Relentless Elimination, The Ruthless, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We read it a couple of years ago when COVID started. Very good book. He just released a new book called Live No Lies. I would highly recommend, we're gonna, going to get copies of it out here that you can get, but it, it, he, he talks about this, that the church, the church helps to erect a barrier to the theology of Babylon. And I think, you know, Babylon represents the world around. It's all through the Bible. It represents the thinking of the world. It's basically the systems and thinking of the world. And, you know, we are right now, he, he writes this, the secular Western world right now is more of an anti-culture than it is a culture. It's more about tearing down than it is about building up. It's more about deconstruction than it is about construction. And maybe it's best to say that the church is a counter-anti-culture. That our job is to stand in truth. And we have entered into, we've entered into the age of the cynic. We've entered into the age where, where you know, we need to be critical it's not that we put it, our head in the sand about that which is, does not work or that which could use improvement. That's called being critical, and it's important. It's see, we see what's wrong in order to make it better, but, but we're entering the age of the cynic, and the cynic just only looks for that which is wrong and seeks to tear it down. And we see this all around us. We see this in social media. We see this in, in the general media. And it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, Satan, one, of the, one of the titles that Satan has in Scripture is Satan is called the accuser. Specifically, the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of the church, the accuser. And we have to, we have to I think it's more necessary than ever that we, we learn to guard our own hearts and guard our own thinking from the theology of Babylon which is the theology of the cynic, the theology of the destroyer, or the, the theology of the accuser. And we have to watch. Because you know what happens when you start accusing your family? I don't know if you've ever been through the experience of having conflict in your family. <laughs> but I'm thinking if you're in a family, you have. And you can go one of two ways in conflict. You can go the humble way of saying, you're right, I need, we need to work at this together. Or you can go the way of the accuser. You always, you never. The, the language of an accuser is the language of death. The language of the accuser is the, that's the end of relationships. When you start, when you start pointing the finger at the problems in others, that's, that's the beginning of the end. And that's not the language of grace. It's not the language of God's love. And uh, we, we need to set up a guard against it. We also need to set up, I, it, speaking corporately of us as a generation, we also need, we also need to set up a guard against the thinking that that we know better or we are smarter than past generations. 
It will turn out different with us. We, we can ignore that counsel because we know better now. Because as people, we're actually not all that different from people that lived 200 years ago. Our brains work exactly the same way. And it's easy to let the influence of contemporary culture convince us that we are the enlightened ones. We know smart, we know better. C.S. Lewis had a great word for it. He called it chronological snobbery. <laughs> and it's, the, it's the, this innate human bias to think that we're smarter because we're still alive. We're smarter because we're breathing. And we're, and, 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 and the idea that new ideas are better than old ideas or more truthful than old ideas. We need the eternal truth to guard against the deception of pop culture. We need a truth. We, and we have to, wisdom, we have to understand that there's trends that, there's trends in thinking that sound good, but they're actually not in the Bible. And we have, to, we have to set up a guard against that type of thinking because it's, it's not the truth that you can build a life on. Jesus says, said, if you do, hear my words and do them, you'll be like the man who built his house on a rock and the storms come and blow and it doesn't fall. But there's a lot of ideas we can build our lives on. If, if our primary, the primary influence of our theology is Disney or Marvel or fill in the blank. If that's our primary theological influence, guess what? We'll be missing some, so, some key points of truth in our theology. Ideas like live your best life. You do you. Speak your truth. I need to just take care of myself. You know, these sound good. And yes, we do want you to live your best life. No, I would like you to live the crappiest life possible. <laughs> we want you to live your best life. We do want you to take care of yourself. But alone, without the, without the truth of Scripture, alone, that language, that's the language of a narcissist. That is not the language of a healthy person. The you do you. You know, speak your truth. That's narcissism, people. That's not health. And it's not what creates healthy community. And it sounds like if we do these things, this would make us happier. But the stats say we're not happier. The truth is, Jesus didn't invite us to just do you. He didn't, he didn't invite you. He didn't say, come unto me and speak your truth. <laughs> he didn't come and say, come unto me and I'll help you live your best life. There's his invitation. Take up your cross and follow me. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Unless a grain of wheat dies and falls into the ground, it will not produce fruit. That's what Jesus taught us. 
But he said, he said if, you, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Take up your cross and follow me. Here's the thing about crosses. They suck. <laughs> when you're taking up your cross, you don't feel like, you know, living my best life. <laughs> you feel like you're dying. You feel like you're being killed. But there is no resurrected life without a cross. Our goal is not our best life. Our goal is his best life. Our goal is not, and the goal is actually not the cross. The goal is the resurrection that comes after the cross. It's the new life that comes after what's difficult. Picking up our cross means we're willing to suffer for something that's greater that God, that God wants to do in our life. And you know what? Athletes get this. Not sure why Colton has a jersey on right now, but I'm sure there's a reason. Halloween was last week. <laughs> Athletes understand this. To get strong, you have to hurt yourself. Like to be stronger, to be better, there's a, there is, there's a price of pain that must be paid. But it seems like pop culture psychology doesn't get, and I don't, I don't say this to put down psychology or, because it's very important. What, we under, what we're understanding through it is very important and it can be very helpful. But pop psychology is, it's the psychology you're getting off of memes okay this is not this is not real psychology but it is the thread of of thinking that goes through our world it almost teaches that any kind of pain is bad and you should avoid it it's like no pain brings good things when when it's when it's embraced properly now i'm not i'm not saying we should all just be suffering all the time you know, after, after church, we're going to grab some whips and just have a little suffer session. But suffering does good things when, that, when we let the right things die that should not be alive to begin with. The church, it's a community to protect your soul. And here's the truth. You have a soul, and I have one too. And Facebook doesn't protect it. And Netflix doesn't protect it. But in, in healthy community, our soul gets protected. Hebrews 10, it says, This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other Onward. There's just something that happens in a spiritual mood when we gather together. And it only happens when we gather together. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And I'm, you know, I'm the professional Christian. And it doesn't happen in me when I'm by myself at home. It happens when I'm gathered with others. Gathering forces me to expand my life beyond myself my own preferences or my own opinions. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he gave this advice to a young couple. He said, today you are young and very much in love. 
and you think that your love can sustain your marriage, it can't. It's very true. Let your marriage sustain your love. And what sustains relationship, what sustains love is long-term rituals, routines, and rhythms that incarnate that commitment. Love is not enough. If you've been married for a long amount of time, you know this. That type of statement, you chuckle at it because you realize it's, it's not... That, that, that love that you, those vows you spoke, you meant them, but the feelings aren't enough. You need, you need to have rhythms and routines together that cause love to grow. Spiritual life is sustained through healthy routines, and spiritual love grows when we commit to those routines together. All right, and the last thing I want to do here is a community where we grow together. It's a community where we grow together. In the New Testament, there are 30 references to one another. I want to read some of them to you because they, when you, when you hear them, you really realize, like, this is, this is not a solo effort. John, John 13, he said, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Six times in John's letter, letters, he says, he reminds and he commands us, love one another. Romans 13, it says, owe, no one, owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. Galatians 5, where you have been called to live in freedom, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And then later in Galatians, it says, why all this vicious gnawing on one another? If you're not careful, you'll find that you've eaten one another alive. Why all this vicious gnawing on one another? Ephesians 4, instead be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as, Christ, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And later in Ephesians, it says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hebrews 10, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 1 Peter 5, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All these commands, not a single one of them can be followed if we're not living in community. We, can't, we actually can't do them without being in community. The full expression of faith only takes place in the context of one another. The fullness of faith is only experienced with one another. All right, let's stand up. You know, I want to I want to give us an encouragement in a season that has been by far the most difficult season I've ever lived through. And it's a challenge 
like doing life together has been a challenge. You want to just say, you know what, we just need to get together and do this or do that. And then you realize, oh, but we can't do that. Or, or we're in positions where it's like it would be irresponsible to do that. In this season, God has a strategy to bring life and wholeness to your life. He has a he he didn't put the plan for your life on hold and say, well, we'll just see how this whole thing turns out. I believe that God wants to put deep, substantial roots into our faith in this time. Something that I think the world around us is going to need the church to have going forward. And so I want to just pray for us. If you want to just put your hand on your heart and just say, Lord, I give you permission to work deep into my life. I want your best. I want to understand my role in your kingdom at this time. Would you work in my life? Help to work out the ideas that I've held to that aren't truth. And help me embrace your truth, your life, and your love in this season. Help me give it to others. Help me be full of mercy and compassion and humility and help me to see in this season where I can serve, where I can lift, where I can encourage those around me with your love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we take comfort that you're not surprised by what's happened. We take comfort that your plan for your church has never changed. And that you put us in this season, this time, because you knew the church would need us in this time. And we want to respond and be ready to represent you and serve the, the purpose of our generation. Thank you, Father. I want to pray another prayer. Maybe you're here and you've never actually said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to his plan or his purpose. I want to just, I just want to invite you to, we're going to pray this together as a church. If you're online, you can pray this right now with us. But if you're, if you're here saying, you know what, I want to say yes to this plan, to this purpose of, of God for my life, then you can join us as we pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, I say yes to you. I say yes to your plan and your purpose for my life. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to experience your life, your forgiveness, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's great. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. 
It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.